0: John 15 is where we're at. Uh, We've been working through the gospel of John now for 40, I think, four weeks and uh, 21 chapters. We're getting closer to the end here, but we're going to bite off another section as we just work through this verse by verse. So we're going to read the first eight verses. Before we do, I want you to talk back to me today. I want you to yell at me your favorite Fruit. All right. So if you have lots of favorite fruits, just pick one at random. Pick jackfruit or passion fruit or something. But yell at me, what is your favorite fruit on three? One, two, three. I definitely heard a watermelon in there. I was trying to pick out. So did someone say Oreos over here? Was someone messing with me? Uh, so, okay, there's lots of fruit that we like. I mentioned that because uh, God has always had fruitfulness in mind for his children. You see that in Genesis that he tells his children to uh, be in this lush, fruitful garden and to be fruitful and to multiply, okay? Be fruitful people in a fruitful place. And you see in this text so the topic in view here is fruit. I want you to pay attention as we read this. Maybe you can even underline as we go through here. Every time fruit is mentioned, and this will actually conclude with the, the whole goal of this in verse eight is that the father is glorified by us producing fruit. So let's read this and let's try to understand this. John 15 verse one. I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken you. Now, that verse 3 can actually appear, appear a little bit disjointed. But what Jesus is doing is he's moving from the broad metaphor in verses 1 and 2 of here's vine, branch, fruit, purging. And then he's going to apply it specifically to the disciples in the, in the next verses. And 3 is kind of this, this bridge. So if you notice in verses 1 and 2, Jesus will speak in first and third person. He'll say, I am the true vine, first person. Uh, and then he says, every branch. So, third person. When he gets uh, done with this, he's going to start doing first and second person. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Now, I'm just talking about those branches out there. This is you. I'm going to apply it. And so, he segues this with verse 3, saying, look, you're clean. You've received my word. Probably, this is a little bit of speculation, but probably because he just finished verse 2 where he said some are taken away, some are fruitful, and perhaps they're sitting there wondering who are we, what are we. And he puts their mind at ease right out of the gate. Look, you're clean, you're okay. I'm going to talk about you, the branches that are attached to me and bearing fruit now. Uh, as opposed to Judas who had just left. This is, is really right after Judas had left the upper room. And Judas, perhaps one of these that is taken away, but he wants to put them at ease. You're okay. Uh, You have my word. You're clean. So here it comes. He's going to apply this to them. It's kind of redundant of verses one and two, but now it's specifically at them. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch. He's withered. Men gather them, cast them into the fire. They're burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. This is at its core getting at I want you as disciples, To bear fruit, and the Father is going to get glory from that. So this morning, I want to start to just ask the text a few questions and try to move through this to help us understand this metaphor and what Jesus is saying. So we're going to ask the text, what is this fruit? Why can we bear it? And then next week, we're going to answer the question to wrap up the text. It'll be part two. How can we bear more fruit? I'm just going to look at the first two questions today. What is this fruit, and why can we bear it? So let's start here. Uh, This is a, a powerful and a simple metaphor where Jesus says, basically, there's fruit, the fruit's on a branch, the branch is in the vine, and there's a vine dresser or a husbandman who comes and cuts and purges the vine, okay? Pretty simple, four things, fruit, branch, vine, vine dresser, right? Now, Jesus is explicit, and he explains three of these metaphors and says, here's what they are. He tells them in verse number one, I'm the true vine, If you're wondering what the vine's all about, me. My father is the husbandman. You wonder what the vine dresser's all about? That's the father purging and pruning. Then he says in verse number five, I am the vine again, ye are the branches. So that's you. But he never says, and here's what the fruit is. So when he says fruit, what is he talking about? Is he talking about that we should have watermelon and our Costco should overflow with fruit? Is, is he talking about uh, winning people to Jesus? What is he talking about here? Well, the, this word fruit is oftentimes used in the Bible in the same way it's used here. Is that It's talking about character change. This is talking about uh, really what Galatians 5 is talking about. When Galatians 5 says that we as Christians should bear the fruit of the Spirit, that we should bear Love and joy and peace and long suffering that we should manifest inside of our character these attributes. Paul tells the Romans in Romans 1 that I want to come to you and I want to see fruit among you. What is he saying when he says that? He's saying, I want to see God's footprints in your life. I want to see you bearing fruit. I want to see you being a fruitful Christian. And I want to see this change. I think perhaps Paul had this passage in mind when he, through the Holy Spirit, wrote uh, Philippians 1.11 where Paul really summarizes his whole text and says that we should be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. We fruitful people bearing fruit by Jesus and his power for the glory of God. So what Paul is talking about and what John is writing about is character change. Character, who you are in the dark, okay? How honest are you? How joyful are you? How pure are you? How loving and kind and patient are you? Now, that's wildly practical. To talk about character change and disciples bearing fruit is wildly practical. We're talking about how does a selfish person become a generous person? How does a worrier become a rock? How does a bigot become kind? How does a pessimistic person find joy? How does a frantic person become calm? How does this fly off the handle parent suddenly become patient? How does someone who's eaten up with lust become bridled and self controlled and temperate? How does this happen? We we want to know this because deep down inside, we sense in our own lives things that should change, things that we want to change, character defects or flaws or problems or things that we want to change in our life. So I don't know about you, that sounds like something I'm interested in. I would love to know how to produce character change, how to produce fruit in my life, how that may come about in me. This is the sort of character change that is very elusive for most people. Many people either just give up or they continue to work, but with little success of trying to implement this sort of change in their life. I like the way one author put it. He said that that uh, character change, or really all of life for that matter, is kind of like going up a down escalator. That The stairs are cascading down at a rapid pace, and you're trying to climb up them and kind of swim upstream or go against the grain. And, and, and the author said there's a principle at work in the world, and that is you don't have to do wrong stuff for things to decay. You just got to do nothing. Just do nothing with your health. Do nothing and pay no attention to your house or to your car or to that second language you learned or to your tennis hobby or to the instrument that you used to play. And it will go on the decline, it'll get worse. I played the trumpet from fourth grade to ninth grade for six years. That was really a manifestation of my father's uh, trumpet dreams when he was a child and he wanted me to play the trumpet, which I've forgiven him for a long time ago. Uh, But I got okay at it. I was decent. I haven't picked up a trumpet since ninth grade, though. I would be scared to pick up a trumpet today. Not because I did anything bad. I just haven't done anything with it. And I would be absolutely terrible at it. The verses you memorize as a child, don't do anything with it. And all of a sudden, they'll start to go away. Do they not? Right. What am I saying? I'm saying it's it's, it's like you're trying to climb the down escalator. you got to keep working and working. And many times when it comes to our character, we find that this principle is at play, that the gravity doesn't just feel physical but almost historical, that it feels like how do I get this character change? It takes work. It it takes effort. This is hard. The cards are stacked against us. But what Jesus is saying is that his disciples will bear fruit. Those who know him and are connected to him, he's crystal clear on this. This will happen. It's it's like inevitable that this will take place. So why? Why? And here's where I want to spend the bulk of my time this morning is why can we bear this? Why must we bear this? Why is this going to come about in the life of a true follower of Jesus? Why will this fruit come? And it's actually very clear, okay? This is a very simple principle, but the implications of this are vast. Jesus says in verse number one, I am the true vine. Jesus says in verse number four, look at it. Abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Alright, that that that's telling. Who's the branch? Us, right? Followers of Jesus. Can you produce the character change on your own? Not according to this. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself except, and here's how, here's why. It abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Here we go again, verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. All right? If you're in me, it's going to happen. But without me, ye can do nothing. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I am the vine. The fruit comes be- through the branch because of the vine, so we can bear fruit because of Jesus. Simple enough, right? We can bear fruit because of Jesus. Jesus is saying... The character change that you're after, the, the, the foibles, the mess, the little things in your life, the big things in your life that, that you want gone, you want altered, that can happen because of the vine Jesus, that he is the key to that. So there's not just character change available, there's supernaturally fueled character change available. I'm the vine, but without me, ye can do nothing. Now I'm going to spend the whole rest of the sermon just applying that. That truth is powerful. That Jesus is the vine and you are the branch. I'm the branch and fruit can come, but it is not going to come outside of him. So let's just start here. You're not a vine. Okay. Let me just apply it that way. You're not a vine. Jesus is. Part of, I mean, the real thrust of this, of this whole thing is trying to get at, don't be fooled. It, it is a fool's errand to say, you know what, I will be my own vine, or I will be somebody else's vine, or they will be my vine. It won't work that way. You're not a real life giver. You don't have the power. You don't, you don't have what it takes in and of yourself to do that for somebody else. Don't think for a second that, you know what? It sounds romantic, but it's foolish to say, you know what? I'll be there everything. I will, I will provide all you need. I will meet all your needs. I will, I will give you your nourishment. I will, I will bring you satisfaction. I will do this for you. I will be the reason for your existence. You will be the reason for my existence. Newlyweds make stupid vows like that to each other all the time and and it's dumb because you can't be somebody else's vine. You can't be your own vine. It's not going to work that way. No one else is meant to be that for you. You can tell yourself all you want. Well, if my parents just would have given me, what, well, if my spouse would only, well, if my political views were embraced by everybody, well, if my business would take off, well, if my health would move in the right direction, then I would be peaceful. Then I could have joy. Then I would be generous. No. No. That ain't how it works. You're trying to get peace and joy and love and kindness and generosity in, in exchange for your stinginess from something else. It don't work that way. You have to understand that only Jesus is the vine. Now let me, let me further apply this. This means, very practically speaking, you're not going to find real character chains on the shelves of Barnes & Noble. All right, I'm not, I'm not against self-help books entirely. Some are good, some are okay, some are, some are terrible. But bookstores are filled with how to change, how to realize your potential. And they, and they sell, they sell like crazy. And the reason they sell is because a lot of people feel like, I don't have a lot of actual, so I need some potential. And people will buy this in an effort to try to bring about the change that they're looking for. Now, I'll save you a bunch of money and a bunch of time. I'm gonna give you the Cliff Note version on every self-help book that, that's on the shelf. If you think I'm lying, just go buy one and, and test me. See if, see, if I'm, see if I'm telling you the truth. All right, they go one of two ways. There's only two options for those books unless they're centered on Jesus as the vine. But those, those books go kind of like an ancient, older way of changing yourself that's still at play today or a more modern way. The ancient way is I see me, I look inside. You know what? Ugh, I take a long, hard look inside because chapter one said do that. So look, there's, there's problems, there's character defects, there's sin, there's things that are messed up. I, I shouldn't do that, that's wrong. So I've got to change myself. And it'll give you 8,000 tips and tricks how to manufacture and jury rig yourself to where you can produce change. But at its core, it's buckle down, Twist your arm behind your back. Work real hard. You, it, it'll, it'll pay off in the long run. So you just work at it. It's kind of a, a, an ancient, but still play today. You just, you just get it done and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can change, okay? You've probably heard this recently. You have the power in yourself. You're limitless. You are capable. You are a change agent. You are, okay? That's what it is. Or there's a kind of more modern way. Which is do the same thing. Examine yourself. Look inside. See that, 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 that you've always felt was wrong? Yeah, forget it. It's not wrong. Accept it. Forgive yourself. Love yourself. Be okay with it. Just accept it and live out of it. It's not your fault anyway. Your parents, I mean, it was, it was passed down to you. It's hereditary. Maybe it's not hereditary. Maybe, maybe it's because it of your birth order. Maybe, whatever. It was determined to be that way, just accept it and and then embrace it and quit trying to work against it and just let it flow out of you. Now, they seem vastly different, but at their core, they have a common denominator that's, that's huge. The common denominator is you. You do it. Either you buckle down and you get it done and you work real hard or you just accept yourself and you love yourself and you forgive yourself and you do it. Both of those are problematic because it makes you the vine. It makes you the source of change. It makes you the change agent. It makes you the one that's going to start to produce inside of yourself some, some way this peace and joy or whatever and you could do it temporarily. I've met a lot of husbands that came in for marriage counseling because she said that she was gonna leave and, and then he decided, you know what, I'll shape up. But that doesn't last very long. You can change it for a little while. You may even be able to change it for a long while, but then you get more bitter about it over time. But, but that doesn't work. You can dress it up for a little bit, but it don't work. I cut down a Christmas tree not too many months ago, took it home. You know what? I would say we upgraded that tree. We put garland on it. We put lights on it. We put ornaments on it. I mean, that thing looked sweet for about three weeks. But the problem was we cut it from its life source. And as pretty as we made it, it didn't last very long. The point is you are not the vine. You can go an ancient way or a modern way. Both are broke. You have to come to the point where you realize Without him, I, can do, I can't do this. Without me, you can do nothing. This is impossible. I need to tap into him. I think perhaps one of the best of phrasings of this modern, ancient way to change and look into yourself came to us via Princess Elsa from Frozen. You probably didn't think you'd hear Elsa talk to you in a sermon, but here she is. The, the very famous song, Let It Go, if you ever paid attention to the lyrics, Talks about, in essence, I used to try to change myself in an ancient way and now I'm going to go change myself in a modern way. I will read you the lyrics. You can sing them with me if you want. No, I'm just kidding, don't. No. The wind is howling like this swirling storm inside. I think she sees something inside you don't like. I couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you've always had to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. What is that saying? There's an ancient way of trying to to produce change in myself. Clamp it down. Lock it down. Control yourself. Right? And she said, I can't do that anymore. I ain't working. So she goes on to the next verse. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. The fears that once controlled me, they can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. What she does, she's moved to the modern way. Right? I'm going to accept all this inside of me. I'm going to let it go. Let it go. Right? She goes, that's all thought. Right? I'm I'm sorry, Elsa. Neither work. They're both rooted in you. They both are. You have to understand that Jesus is the vine. You're not a vine. You're a branch. And if the branch wants fruit, the branch doesn't go make fruit on its own. The branch has to be attached to the vine. Now let me press this even further. This means that a Christian's relationship with with his Savior, with Jesus, is the most intimate, powerful relationship you could ever have. More intimate and more powerful than an employer to, a, to an employee, than a teacher to a student, than a spouse to another spouse, or even a parent to a child. Those relationships are important, especially when you start to talk about a parent to a child or a spouse to another spouse. Those are, those are wildly important and they're massively influential. Massively influential. But what you have when you're talking about the branch and the vine someone who has been saved by Jesus, you're not talking about influence. You're you're actually talking about someone, not just influencing who we are or our nature, someone entering into our nature. This is kind of expressing what Romans will say very clearly, that there is a spiritual unity between someone who knows Jesus and, and Jesus himself, that there actually is a bond or a togetherness. It's not this... External influencer, but this internal change agent that actually the vine draws on the life and the juice and the sap, uh, or the, the branch draws on that from the vine. And in a similar way, a Christian will draw on this life and this juice from Jesus Himself. This is talking about what Peter says in, in First and in Second Peter one when he says that we actually have become partakers of the divine nature. That the very life of God is flowing through us. Now, this, the the Bible paints this in, in such splendid verbiage as cataclysmic and radical and extraordinary. That when someone unites with Jesus, it's not just, okay, here's a set of beliefs that I've adopted, or here's a set of ethics that I'm going to adhere to, or here's some sort of spiritual experience. Christianity is all of those beliefs and ethics and experience for sure, but it's more than that. It's actually an interpenetration of our nature. It is actually the vine and the branch being together. It's a change of heart. It's what theologians have called regeneration. It's what John 3 called being born again. The heart of stone becoming flesh, being put into a new stem and new soil and actually being able to have a vital connection with Jesus. The life of heaven entering you. This is where the fruit comes from. is actually from this relationship. So what this means for those that are a branch is that the vine, Jesus, that's a relationship that is more powerful and, and, and can produce more change than any other relationship. And I'm not trying to sell short your, your marriage or, or your parenting. But, but this is extreme. I did a wedding last Saturday in Butler and the best man gave a speech uh, to the, to the groom and his speech went like this. I think you, the groom are like a cat that's on the counter that you're telling to stop and to, and to, and to get down. But the cat just sits there and looks at you and looks at you. And no matter what you say, no matter what, you know how cats are. You know, it just does its own thing, right? And he said, you know what, bride? You're the only person I've ever met who could influence this cat. That your words, that what you think, that what you feel actually matter to him in a way that produces some sort of change. And that's powerful. And that's, that, that's fitting. But this is saying, Far more powerful, far more of an influencer, far more of a change agent is the relationship of a Christian to his savior, that, that is is supposed to be more intimate and more powerful than anything else. This this is supposed to be numero uno. This is where the real change you're after is going to come from. I know that that she Man, she can point out your faults real quick and you can probably do the same to her. I know that they could maybe show you some of those, but that change isn't really gonna come from them. It has to come from Jesus. This means, I told you there's a lot of implications. This means, and I hope that this will sink in. This means that you as a Christian can and should be a fruit producer, that you can be made glorious For his glory. This is saying that you have life and access and direct connection to a vital relationship with God. And that can start to change things. That can start to bear fruit. Now fruit bearing is always a progression in many ways, it's, it's slow. Sometimes there's, there's some earlier than others and, and that takes times and sometimes there's winter where there's not as much fruit as, as, as maybe a fruit bearing time. But at the end of the day, what this is saying is that you actually can be transformed and you can be made glorious, not for yourself, but for his glory. And that means that intellectually speaking, some of you get what I'm talking about. It, it's registering and you get it intellectually, but practically, you're fine with those pet sins or those errors in your life that you just leave them there. And it'll actually, you get it, but practically you tell yourself I ain't going to change. I've tried to change. It's been too long. I've never been able to do it. You know what? I'm just angry. My dad was angry. I'm angry. I'm just an angry person. You know what? I've always been stingy. I've always pinched my pennies. Call me Ebenezer if you want. It's just the way that I am. Nonsense. If you get this this is saying that that doesn't line up. That there's supposed to be fruit that's coming and coming and, and don't say I can't change that. Don't say that's too big or that's too powerful or that that you know what that stain is is so dirty and that that sin habit is so besetting and that that habit so entrenched I can't do it no. G. Campbell Morgan was a congregational minister who went to Italy, and there in Italy, he found this 600-year-old tombstone, and the tombstone wasn't like a a header like we would have. It was actually the slab of marble on the ground, and who knows when, but long before he got there, apparently an acorn had fallen into the grave because by the time he got there, there had become an oak tree that came up out of the grave and went through the middle of the marble slab and split the marble slab and actually rolled it off in pieces. This acorn had a little thing, had broken the marble. And Campbell Morgan looked at that and he realized in that moment that if God had put that kind of power in gradual biological growth, Just think of the kind of power that's in us if we're connected to the vine. Think of the slabs that he can crack and roll off of you. It's it's unacceptable in light of John 15 to say, Pastor, you don't understand. It's, It's just too much. I've tried. I can't do it. You're right. You can't do it. We're talking about Jesus doing it. We're talking about the very life of God in you. It's, it's, not, it's not okay to say, I, it, this, th- I can't do this. Furthermore, it's not okay to say that they can't change. Some of you have no problem thinking that, you know what, God will change me. Your problem is looking at them and saying, you know what, they can't change. I know them. I grew up with them. I know what kind of household they came from, right? I was on this side of the tracks. They're on that side of the tracks. I, I, I know how, how they've been programmed. I, 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 they're that kind of person, If this is true, this means the same potential that's in you if you're connected to Jesus is in them. So don't tell me that they're stuck being bitter. Don't tell me they're stuck being bigoted. Don't tell me they're stuck being selfish. No, 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 no. You have to see this for yourself and embrace this and and, and hopefully even begin to pray this way. Look at verse number seven. I think that this prayer is completely in line with bearing fruit and seeing real, lasting, permanent character change materialize in your life. Here's verse number seven. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. He's talking about praying. Apparently, it's a powerful prayer. But we've seen previously that Jesus never made prayer, this magic genie, rub my lamp, give me what I want, bye. That's no I think in context, what he's talking about is that do you have the gumption to actually pray, Lord, change this in me. Lord, bear fruit there. There's not fruit there and I need fruit there because I'm worried to death and I'm worked up and I'm anxious and your peace is missing. Do you you have the courage to pray, Lord, make me glorious for your glory. Lord, would you produce this in me? Do you have the courage to see that that could be produced in other people and pray for them that way? This means if you're connected to Jesus, don't you see this? Don't you see that you can't, you, you can't give up on yourself? That life is flowing to you. You can't give up on them. I have like a million more, but I have to be done because we're out of time. I'll give you one more, okay? One for the road, okay? This means you should get sweeter as you go along, not sour. That's kind of how growth works, right? The roots go deeper. The, the tree or the plant gets larger, the fruit becomes more. Now, definitely there's pruning and those sorts of things. And we're going to look at next week how to bring this about in a, in a faster version. We're going to look at a parking brake and a knife. Those are the two things we'll look at next week and how we can bear more of this. But as this is supposed to work in such a way that more fruit comes over time. The five-year tree bears more fruit than the two-year tree, Right? Which means that grumpier old men should not be the the characterization of a Christian. It shouldn't be that, you know what, I used to have joy and I used to have peace and I used to have this and and everything was was good. But now I get less kind and less loving and less patient and and, and less long-suffering. No. This is supposed to happen over the course of time, some of you that are in the room and you're, uh, you're not in your 20s and 30s, you're in your 40s and 50s, or maybe you're 60 plus, us younger ones need this. Some of the best mentorship you could give is just to be around us and let us see that fruit that has been produced in your life over time and is there. For five years, I, I worked in California at a church, and uh, that was 2010, 2015, and, and there was Jack Hubbard. Jack was a 60-plus uh, hay farmer, man, a few words, but Jack mentored me. He didn't even know he was mentoring me, but Jack had, had been a Christian for a long time, and that man had patience and love and grace and hard work, and he was giving, and me just being around him, seeing that man, th- I, I could maybe have that sort of fruit one day. I needed that in my life. I love that our church is diverse and, and we need each other and, and many of you need to, need to say, you know what, this, is, this fruit has been being produced and you need to share that with others. And this shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that people turn sour as they get older and become more bitter. I know that life goes on and I know that circumstances come and I know that those negative things can pile up. I get that. But if you understand this, it shouldn't be. What am I trying to say? Okay, let me lay on the plane. I bet, I bet, if I know you, I bet there's character change in your life that you want. I bet it doesn't take you very long to find things that are there that not just you want to be different, but should be different. And this text says that this is not just possible. It's more than possible. This is available only, though, if you're connected to the vine. So, the point for this morning is are you connected to the vine? I'll get next week to how you can expedite that fruit growth. But for this morning, are you connected to Him? Just leave it there. Is His life in you? Are you regenerated? Are you born again? Are you saved? Okay, I'm just saying the same thing eight different ways. Do you know him? Are you in him? If you do, then I I hope that you can see that there's a lot of takeaways from this that should be at work in your life. If you don't, I hope that you will. I hope that before you leave here today, you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because he's the only vine, he's the only true vine that's going to produce what you need, the change that you need. It's the only way is in him.